Hello everyone and welcome back to A Pint with Peter, a comedy podcast which is also somewhat informative. I'm joined with Chris. Hello. And of course my dad. Hi, I didn't realise it was intended to be comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, we're informative with the odd laugh thrown in. Oh dear. So dad, I'll kick off this session with chasing up one of your questions where you asked me and Chris if you thought our equanimity was affected by our background. And I've had a thought about it, and I'm still not sure, because you and Mum are polar opposites when it comes to stuff like that, because I think you can admit you're a bit hot-headed in situations, and I take more after Mum, probably, where I can be quite calm. Uh, Do you know, that's really quite interesting, because I was going to um, talk a little bit more about the influence uh, of environment, as you know. That's why I spent a lot of time last week and will do again today talking about my environment. But of course, you've got the genetic component, you know, the old nature-nurture thing. And, um, you know, I like using big words, as it were, so I I I have no idea what they are. But I was was thinking of you, and I wasn't thinking of equanimity, but the two things I came up with, I was thinking to myself that I remain sanguine about a lot of life, but I'm I'm not as sanguine as your mum or some of your relatives. Sanguine, by the way, is just being optimistic and positive, especially (laughs) in bad or difficult situations. I think think with me, my my sanguinity uh, kind of lapses into absurdity and um, the kind of feeling that basically the world is, is a rather strange, weird place. Yeah, but I, I think you have that in spades. I think Chris does too, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, because, I mean, I don't know too much about Chris's background, but I don't think, uh, I don't think, Chris, having known you since you were a little boy, I don't think you have had, unless there's some deep, dark family secret <laughs> history here, you know, I think you've had a fairly stable background. I'd say it's quite similar. And you... In most respects, I'd say, I've also um, shared a very, very similar background, mm. whereas, which is, I think, at the heart of what, what we have been talking about. I mean, people such as myself are not unusual, but I had, you know, it's just circumstances. I had a lot of strange, offbeat perturbations in my childhood and in my later life, you know, which a lot of it is down to, um, you know, your parenting. It's down to your early experiences. And a lot of it is related, I think, to um, resources. You know, it depends very much how you are resourced. I think both of you, you, you've enjoyed, up to a certain point, you could argue, a fairly reasonable, maybe not affluent, but okay, comfortable. You know, it's just about managing syndrome, isn't it? You know, mm, yeah. you, you didn't, I mean, I didn't experience real deprivation, but uh, there were certainly um, pinch points in my life. And the other, the other word I'd use is insouciance. Um, I mean, I <laughs> Insouciance is, uh, I guess, a relaxed and happy way of behaving without feeling worried or guilty. And I think both of you have that in in a way. But I, I think I suspect both of you are possibly um, quite good at on the surface showing that on insouciance, <laughs> you know. But uh, you've probably both developed strategies to um, 
you know, conceal possibly your true thinking around. You've something. got me down to a T. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got uh, me down to a T. It's I'm interesting. Casing it um, in my head. Whereas with me, my father, uh, reputedly, I mean, I, I did see it. Had, had a really fearsome temper, and um, I witnessed the negative effects of, of that temper. Far less so, I have to say, than my, my brother and two sisters. So I, I am the oldest of. Mm. Of four, and I, and I think your position in a family is it, well. I don't think you can read the psychology around it. Your position in a family is is, is important. So yeah, I think you, I think you do have um, a lot of equanimity, and I, and I do think you have the um, the native insouciance uh, and uh, sanguinity I, I mentioned mm. earlier. And I think that's what makes uh, you know events and circumstances between generations really quite interesting because I, I think I think a massive paradox at, at the heart of societies like this one without pontificating is I, I think in well with in real terms economically and, and so on particularly from the 80s onwards um, you, know, you can look at the graphs um, you know this country has, has been quite successful you know there have been periods you know there have been crashes and so on but on the whole uh, materially people I hesitate to use a, a comment by the Prime Minister of the 1950s called Macmillan. Macmillan said, you've never had it so good. And in a way, I think you'll have to contradict me here. I think in a way, if I was you, it would be a comment like that that would really piss me off. You know, where older people say, you don't realise you've never had it so good. Because I think it's a grotesque simplification because one of the paradox yeah. one yeah. of the great paradoxes is you can have loads materially but it doesn't guarantee anything really does it no, no. i've definitely got into a few debates with older people about over that claim you know well they'll be like oh you don't know how good you've got it it's like yeah but you know, there's still times where I'm struggling to live. Of course. You know, like, you yeah, know, like course. We, we get a decent wage, but then it's like after rent and all the other yeah. costs that we have to face yeah. now. That's right. Which is probably highly inflated from when mm. you were saying my age. And of course, an added um, challenge is there's an expectation now that you have stuff. I mean, this, this is what's at the heart of Extinction Rebellion and so on. There's obviously an awareness, an awareness, as I said last time, has been there for decades, but it, it's, it has suddenly come to prominence. But increasingly, over the years, I, I can see a big difference between the generation uh, just above mine. You know, some of our relatives are, well, they're probably in, in, into the late 40s and 50s now, aren't they? They are much more materialistic than, than I ever was, for example. And I think that, that material took has grown and grown and grown, I really do. You know, when I was a kid, you've heard all these stories before, you know, people, uh, you know, didn't buy stuff unless they could actually pay for it, you know, you had no credit cards and all that, and people did lead much more simple lives. And I think in a, in a way, if you look at the inevitable requirements of what is needed to save the planet, if you want, you, we, are going to have to get rid of an awful lot of stuff that maybe you become very, very familiar with and uh, even dependent upon. Yeah? 
Mm-hmm. I think so, and uh, and I, I think a part of wokeness and wokeness again has its detractors, doesn't it? A part, I think, a part of wokeness is an understanding that you can you can derive a lot of pleasure and fulfilment from simple things. You know, there's a lot of stuff around psychology at the moment about going out for a forest wash and mm. all that kind of stuff and you know t- taking eating simpler food and all, all that kind of stuff I think it, I think it is all, all connected so yeah thank you mother because your mother is much I mean are you do you, do you think you're you Chris um, your basic characteristics follow your mum or your dad or have you got traces of both I think my mum would say I follow my dad Interesting. And maybe I'd be inclined to agree, really. So your, your like, basic characteristics are... I think I've got a lot from my dad, a bit from my mum. Yeah. It's like more like, like a duck, so like floating on the surface and underneath. Uh, so like, right. yeah, paddling yeah, like yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. You see, I mean, I, I'd go so far, and if my sister listens to this... Um, and my brother, I think, um, I'd go as far as, and this is quite Freudian, I'd, I'd go as far as to say that um, I possibly hated my father. I think it would have gone mm. that deep. And with my mother, yeah, we, we loved her. Yeah. You know, the, the mother, I mean, it's, I'd like to talk about women a, a little bit um, and, you know, the differences between men and women. I, I think if you are looking for, for positives, I, I know you two guys, right from the get-go, right from primary school you you were i think regarding the girls around you as equals weren't you yeah i'm not not saying i we weren't but um i think that kind of egalitarian that equal rights vibe quite you know quite properly has grown and grown and grown during your Mm. time i think we always say it's a friendship group that never once have we viewed anyone differently, be it colour of the skin, disability, mm, sexuality, sexuality is never once, gender, no. yeah, never once come into our mind where yeah. we're like well, they're different to me and you, yeah. which which can only be good, yeah, yeah it can only be good. I, I think I d- again, I know what I'll put my cards on the table. I know what really agitates me sometimes because you know I do have white skin. I am male. Uh, I am late middle aged, and uh, I suppose up to up to a point, I have enjoyed some privilege. What what I what I really don't like is the way in which um, you you are often chided and and criticised for being that kind of a person. Mm. Um, and you two guys must feel like that. It's not, it's not that you're saintly or you know right on or whatever. It's I, I just hate this modern tendency to lump people under one banner under one heading under one label when you've got to see the the continuum you know the very wide range the spectrum that it is between people and uh, i think people um wrongly exercise a lot of prejudice against certain groups that isn't justified yeah, would, would, yeah would I'd, be, I'd be inclined to agree yeah i would probably even say it goes to this this the extent of um I could be in a shop and literally just because I'm a young looking lad, I will notice a security guard following me. Interesting. Yes. And it's I just like, that. why are you looking at me? You know, like yeah. I don't look like a ruffian in any way, but I think it's just because they see a young person in a shop. Like I could be shopping something for mum. They instantly think, oh, he's probably here to pinch. And it's like, well, no, I'm not. Yeah. You know? Taking it back to the days of Beanie Babies. This is stuck with me, this quite clearly. <laughs> but do you remember the Beanie Baby shop in Antrim? Yes. Yeah, went in there to look around once and um, 
I had the security guard follow me around. <laughs> wow. spam cell. Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got, I've got my laptop up here. I'm, I'm calling it, as you know, the new generation understanding generator. Uh, I was trying to remember that. For yeah, yeah. 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 generation. So that would be what? NG. G. N. 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 Gug. N. Gug. I suppose some people listening might call it Radio Gigo. <laughs> do, do you know that? No. Do you know that, you know that acronym? Gigo. No. Garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> so so detractors, you know, don't pick on us. Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, I mean, in, in our last conversation, um, I, I shared. Hopefully, I shared some recollections with you of the kind of my kind of slowly widening world of, a, of what a provincial fifties childhood would like was like. And um, I mean, for you guys, it, it must even though you probably from your history lessons, uh, speaking to older people like me, it must seem like a lost world. Do you think it does it? Almost like prehistory. It's almost where, once again, it's like our generation is like a weird bridging point. Because it's like, I have memories of going out and building dens. Yeah. But then we fall into the generation of when the PlayStation came out. So yeah. dens became yeah. less of a thing. It was yeah. more going around to your mates to play yeah. the latest GoldenEye game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, I can relate to my dad's stories. Yeah. It hasn't completely disappeared. Again, it's the um, blanket comments and blanket statements that people make. Because I've spoken to quite a few parents, particularly if they live in uh, you know, a rural or semi-rural environment. There are kids out there still mm. who go wandering. Mm. And again, it goes back to what I was saying a couple of minutes ago. I mean, in many ways, you know, they are, you have forest schools now, don't mm. you? I um, think you're right. And if you were of a certain persuasion, i.e. a Daily Mail reader, just expressing my own prejudice here, or a Daily Telegraph reader, they, would, they possibly would argue that the technology has stolen your childhood. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I mean... If you, if you look at the bare facts, um, you know, without sounding like a suit, I did uh, a few years ago a piece of work, a thesis on boys and girls' ability to understand space. I don't, I don't mean space for universe, yeah. I mean physical space, geographical space. And if you look at the um, stats, if, if you look at, say, my generation, boys, I'm not so sure about girls, did wonder. Yeah, their range, if you want, would have extended possibly over a few miles, you know, four or five miles. Yet, as you, yet, yet if you speak to a ten-year-old, first of all, they'd probably be ferried everywhere in, in a car, mm-hmm. because obviously most households have use of the, of the motor vehicle. And secondly, they will probably go to the end of this street unaccompanied. And I, I, when you think about it, that is going... If you look at your kind of mental architecture, it is going to have an effect, I think, in a way, isn't it? And I've never really thought about this, but what you have, you know, going back to me and the boats made of scrap wood and the little pieces of glass, I had to, or we had to, uh, you know, delve around in your imagination in a different way. And what I think, again, is very unfair on your generation is this idea that you kind of captivated by the games. But the games you 
play. They are uber-imaginative, aren't they? And they take you into worlds that are multidimensional, aren't they? Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is they exercise the same kind of faculties and the same kind of breadth and depth of imagination that somebody like me, you know, working with simpler tools, would have enjoyed. But you, it seems to me, are enjoying the same thing but in a different way. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. it makes sense. It's probably one of the main reasons why I loved gaming so much because it would open you up to a world that you could experience. Because, yeah, I'm not the most... Yeah, I don't like reading, so it's like I won't jump into the Lord of the Rings and get engaged. Interesting. Because I find it difficult, but given the opportunity with films and games through Lord of the Rings, it opened me up into a world that I would spend hours like playing out in a field and then reading up on it online or something. If, so, if so that you, makes sense. Yeah, because your, your imagination in a different way is as rich as possibly mine was. Um, I think, I think it, it's quite interesting because reading, talking about self-help books, if you look through that shelf of uh, self-help books there, it's, it's obviously full of little tips to make your life a little bit better you know go out for a walk in the fresh air uh, meet people blah blah but uh, another one of them is often reading but I think I think with reading which was obviously pretty crucial to my generation I, I think you know having some knowledge of the school system I think reading unfortunately over the years because of the exam system you guys have been through has become very very utilitarian it's you know reading is tied to education and the economy mm. Do you know what I mean? If you yeah. if you read stuff, and uh, I, I don't, I'm not talking about literary fiction here. If you read stuff in in a traditional way, it might be science, it might be mathematics or whatever. It, it will bring you success, and that that's the point of reading with the current system. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I can yeah. agree to that because. For a lot of uh, people, I think they're very much put off reading, aren't they? For, for exactly those reasons. But I, I don't think reading has to be books. Um, I, I'm quite um, Catholic in my tastes here, quite wide-ranging. I mean, you, Russell, have really always enjoyed graphic novels, haven't you? Mm. Do you share that, Chris? Um, no, not so much graphic novels. I read a lot of articles and stuff like that. I very read... I I like autobiography. That's interesting. Yeah, I've always struggled with kind of fiction. I don't know why. Until until recently, so-called literary fiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Until recently, I've always kind of I've really not enjoyed literary fiction kind of thing. I've always had to have something based in kind of reality Uh in what I'm reading. But more recently, I've started actually reading literary fiction. I've actually just started reading Little Women. So wow. Like, so you need you need really I guess um, a catalyst, don't you? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm presuming it's from your girlfriend. Uh, the, the, the reading, yes, yeah. it is actually. <laughs> but she knows me so well that she knows things I like. So she recommends me something, and so far, like I've read both Sally Rooney books. Oh, so, okay. And I read each one of them. I read in one sitting, wow. which is for me, yeah, yeah, is incredible yeah, yeah. to read. Like someone who's never really enjoyed reading to read a book in one sitting is. It's excellent. Well, Russell won't mind me saying. I mean, you probably read say ten books in your life, haven't you? That's not a, you know ten. Yeah, yeah. From, the, from the canon, as it were, you know. You, yeah, you, long formatted yeah, books. Long, long format. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I personally d- really don't think that matters because for me, it, it, however you see reading, it's actually a meeting of minds. 
isn't it? Yeah. You know, you, you can't physically, well, maybe, you know, the two people who had staying with us recently, you know, they had actually met Mary Beard and, and individuals like that, but usually you can't meet the people, no. can you? Um, and I think you connect with another mind, with a, with another consciousness when, when it's when it's at its best. And, you, you know, you, you can follow their dreams and you, you can empathise with them and you, you can develop your understanding. I, I, I think... For me, one of the reasons uh, I was attracted to reading in its traditional form is I was trying to, through reading those books, I was trying to find philosophy, to be honest with you. I was trying to find psychology. I was trying to find um, a meaning in my life that I, I couldn't derive, maybe in my conceit and arrogance, from my humble surroundings, as it were. Mm. And that's, that's why last week, I, I did. I think. I think it was a bit. I think it was a bit unfortunate that I chose the the part of the D. H. Lawrence that has got the <laughs> the C word because um, I know. I mean, obviously, in in certain um, circles, you know, it, it's a taboo word, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a, it's, it's in in America, it's really, really big taboo wow. of a word, like. Wow. Strange enough there, so like level of swearing isn't as wow. large as ours. So, so odd, oddly. They're more censored than we wow. are. So oddly, from what you just said, if, if you were in America and maybe you were sitting around having that kind of middle class thing of a, a conversation around a dinner table, if you did what I did, if you took out that D.H. Lawrence and started reading uh, extracts like that, of which there are quite a few, mm. you probably might be asked to leave the room or, or the book would be, ironically, it, it could be kicked into the bin. I don't know. I depend because it's because it's a work of literature. I don't know, yeah. but to use it, kind so that, of that excuses it possibly in in a way. Yeah, you got possibly you've got to read it to understand. Because getting back to Mary Beard, God bless her. Her her two recent programs have been about the nude in art. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. At the heart of her argument was the nude in art has been so popular throughout the ages, basically, because it's kind of porn for posh people. Yeah. yeah. Porn, you know, it, it kind of turns men on. And, and a lot of art, you know, where people stand around saying what a wonderful aesthetic achievement this is, basically they're getting off on the, <laughs> on the, on the boobs. Um, I mean, I, with La- why I mention Lawrence is um, probably, you know, that's sounding precocious. I, I probably read... Um, D.H. Lawrence was maybe 11 or 12 years old um, and, and the first book of his I ever read was called Sons and Lovers and Sons and Lovers um, like most fiction it's based it's autobiographic frankly it's semi-autobiographical you know his father was a miner and the character in Sons and Lovers is a miner he's very rough and very uncouth and the mother as with my mother was very you know basically gentle and kind and sensitive and there's a lot of um, kind of low-level abuse going on and uh, the, the, the male character in the book you know it's not kind of sensitive shy shrinking violet type he's quite kind of rugged but um, he wants something more from life than the brutal uh, coarse society he seems to be surrounded by and it's, it's about his love affairs with various women but it's also about what, what interested me was it's 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 his emergence into this really interests me it's about his emergence in a way 
from his working class roots into something that's a little bit different. And maybe we could have a whole podcast on this. What, what really interests me is class and your perceptions of class. I mean, when, when, you, when you were growing up, did you or can you relate to a moment where you had, a, without putting words in your mouth, a kind of realisation of, I fit here, I'm in that strata, I'm in this position on the hierarchy or whatever. Did, did you have any moments like that? It's a confusing one because, you know, growing up you kind of think, oh, both my parents are working, I'm working, class. But then, like, as you get older, you realise it's where it becomes skewed almost. It's where you can't define it. Cause it's like, yes, you two were both working, but, you know, we weren't... You know, yeah. we, we were well off in ways. Yeah. And then, you know, you speak to some people and they would say that we're middle class. Interesting. But then, like, mm-hmm. I'd meet people who, you would, who I would say are middle class and, like, their lifestyles are just completely different to us. Like, yeah, they still have to work. But because their parents earn so much, they can jet off on a weekend away to Greece just randomly, just for fun. And it's like, well, no, I would have to save yeah. for months just to do yeah. that. I think that's where you get into sort of like the kind of terms of upper middle class, lower middle class. Yeah. And middle, 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 middle. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of this nuances within it. It's, so, hide- it's hideous. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. I, I always say in this day and age, classes don't exist. Because the people you would lump into working class now probably don't work. If you know, very controversial. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> but, you no, know. no, it's not. Because on, on the, you know, I hate even to say it, it sounds like something off Radio 4, you know, on the working class mm. estate yeah. where I grew up, you know, because I'm everybody guess- worked. Yeah, because I'm, I'm guessing that's where the term came from, because the working mm. class were the ones, say, in the mills. But would like live in Paris. Well, it's also, I mean, I mean, a massive, massive influence on on people's thinking now. Although they possibly don't realise it, is Marx. You know, and, and obviously Marx, you know, came up with the basic ideas of the proletariat and the, and the bourgeoisie and so on and so forth. I mean, these were definitely terms I would have used as a kid. You know, I remember Barney. You know, the hero of the. Kathmandu, mm. he called one of my girlfriends a bourgeois pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, his favourite song was uh, Working Class Hero by John Lennon, mm. if, you, if you know the song. Yeah. I mean, again, it, when you're into nuance, if you, I'm, I'm not going to digress here, but if you look at somebody like John Lennon, he, he was a bit of a hybrid. Yeah, you know, he, yeah. wasn't, he wasn't working class in the sense that his dad was a docker and all that. And as I said on the last podcast, you've got this bizarre virtue signalling now where people who, who are in quite exalted positions, they're always dead keen to uh, roll out their working class credentials. And I don't know why they bother. Mm. In in a way, do you know what I'm saying? It kind of gives you credibility in in a peculiar way. Um, I think it's to kind of maybe make themselves seem all the more amazing. So like they've come from nothing and they do achieve this much, and it kind of makes them seem greater than they are. Greater than they actually are. It's it's really interesting stuff. I mean, I, I, I say I want to spend a couple of minutes on on D. H. Lawrence because reading some you know Lady Chatterley's Lover again. 
I think it was really groundbreaking because part of it, this is this is another quote from it, it's all this cold-hearted fucking that is death and idiocy. And I think that predicts pornography. Mm. Yeah? He's talking about sexual relations between people and he, he calls it cold-hearted fucking. It's like death and idiocy. <laughs> and I, I think yeah. I think he prophesies like yeah. pornography. And I think... And I think, going back to, as I say, why it was an influence on me, because I didn't, by the way, for one minute, think I was somehow superior or whatever. It was just like um, an itch inside, yeah? Because Mm. the guy who stayed here recently, I mean, he's Australian, so it works across cultures. He he was saying that from an early age, um, he felt kind of different in in a way from his parents, and uh, he... He's gone on, so he's got a doctorate, I mean, he's post-doctorate level now, but, you know, right through his uh, late teens and so, and, you know, his parents would call him professor, and uh, they kind of tell it, they kind of pull him back and, and say, you know, who, who do you think you are, you mm. know, or, or the professor. Will... Do, do you understand this, Chris? So, do your parents ever come at you with stuff like no. that? No, you know? no. Oh, you've escaped it. Yeah, yeah. I've never had that. You've escaped it. Because, you know, with me, for example... Um, yeah, you know, I remember my father, um, you know, when I got my little clutch of O-levels, as they were then, um, in, in the society I lived in, it was, you know, what the fuck do you want to go and do A-levels for? You know, complete waste of time. You need to get out there and earn some money. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So so you, you are, in a way, being dragged back by, by your background. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, also, to add to this, in an interesting way, now it's kind of the parents almost become a bragging right. Because we know, we have some friends whose parents will kind of use it to one-up their friends. Yeah, so like, say if uh, you had friends whose kids just, you know, had a retail job, not trying to dismiss a retail job, but... You know, you would be like, oh, well, you know, my two kids went to uni. And yeah, they have, yeah, yeah. They have yeah. a degree. Yeah, no, my mum totally uses me currently as um, sort of like a bragging right. Yeah, she's like, oh, I've got a son that's a lecturer and wow. does yeah. 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 She kind of yeah. is. But that's pu- I think that's also purely because out of my two siblings, I was probably the least likely one to end up in this <laughs> oh, position. <okay. laughs> yeah. I think my brother is currently, like, I use it to annoy him because he was the, like, obviously he's a Cambridge graduate, he's got two master's degrees, he wants to do a doctorate, and I've got to, sort of, like, and he wanted to teach in a university, and I've got to that point before even him almost kind of by accident, really. Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe once again, maybe, so, maybe that's another thing of class. Like if you're from a certain class, it's how can I, I can use this to one-up my friends, but then in another class... Do you think these urges are sadly hardwired. Do you think it's just unfortunately part of being human? You know, like the violence and everything else and the general nastiness that humans get. Do you, do you think we'll ever escape it? No. That kind, of, think, that kind of urge for status and, uh, yeah? I, th- I, think, yeah? I think if you look at, so like, all of human history, sort of like, I think there's always been that desire to have status. I mean, if you look at societies where everything's meant to be equal, so take Soviet Russia mm. and some communism, where everyone's meant to have the same, at the same level, everyone has the same. There's, there was always people trying to corrupt it and have a higher status than somebody else within there. So I think it's just hardwired into people. Yeah. I mean, class and status, I remember 
you know, when I studied sociology, they are actually two different animals. And uh, we were we were talking earlier. God knows why we were talking about it. Um, we were saying that uh, some people will have an awful lot of money, but they have very little, uh, possibly little status, and they don't have. They don't. I'm using class in a different word here. You know, yeah. I, was saying, I was saying earlier to my friend John. It's uh, back in the day. It used to be footballers who used to be accused of this. You know, they, mm. they'd have wonderful salaries, but you know, when they when the camera panned around their houses, it was completely kind of tasteless. Do you know? What, yeah. do, you know do you know what I mean? And love him or, or loathe him. I think the person who, for me, came quite close as a lay person to understanding class was Grayson Perry. I don't know how... Are you familiar with Grayson yeah. Perry? Yeah, we've, we've seen him in a cafe. We did, we saw oh, him yeah. in a cafe. Yeah. Him and his daughter. He wasn't in his rig out, was he? No, he wasn't. In his alter ego. He wasn't. No, I think he had a bit, had a bit of... He had a bit of makeup on, but that was it. yeah. He didn't approach you then, right? No. Like, no, I feel like we kind of wanted to, but we were polite. <laughs> he was eating avocado toast, was he? I think I they think hadn't it, ordered yet. I don't yeah. think they'd ordered, but it yeah. probably... Because he's a very interesting character, because he, he is the, the real article. You know, he came from quite a working yeah. class background. And it's the same thing, you know. He felt something within him that wanted to uh, explore different areas. Um, but he, what, what if you, it's a little mini-series about four programmes, and, and I think what, what he did, I think, again, if you're getting back to this middle-class idea, I think there are two middle classes, if you want, without getting into this lower, middle, upper mm. perception. I think you've got the one middle class who maybe don't have oodles of dosh but they have social and cultural capital yeah you know i mean yeah, in yeah, other yeah, words they can talk about this kind of shit that we're talking mm. about yeah can talk about sculpture they can talk about philosophy they can talk about you know a wide range of things mm. um and they possibly arguably have taste and then you've you got another middle class who I mean, you can't generalize who maybe do have the money but they don't have the same status or standing it's different it's not it's not better than or worse than it's just different Are you with me but yeah, yeah I, both, both, both broad groups are you know you might broadly understand them as middle class I would, yeah. I would almost throw another one in there who I call the fake middle class because we go to Abbasock a lot. And I think that's filled with a lot of people who don't have the money, don't have the gumption, but they want to perceive themselves as that. So they'll probably put themselves into debt just to have this lifestyle yeah, where they're like... It's kind of a show lifestyle. Yeah, where they're like, oh, look, I've got a jet ski in, in Abbasock mm. and a holiday home. Whereas really, they're putting themselves into debt just to afford it because that's what they think the middle class life is like and they want to perceive themselves. Yeah, that, that's, that. that's a really interesting one because, I mean, I wouldn't describe you know, the first group as the intelligentsia. That's ridiculous because this country has a very long tradition of not having an intelligentsia in a way. But yeah, these are interesting distinctions, aren't they? Mm. Um, I think it's just because, you know, I met someone recently who I could probably quite happily say is middle class based on her lifestyle, you know, 
you know, her parents worked for it, she's worked for it, so you know, I'm not judging her. But say a weekend to her would be quite affluent, and then I'm like, well, I've met all these people in Abbasak who tried to make out they're like that, but to her, a weekend in Abbasak would be considered like a cheap weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. she wouldn't go raving about yeah, it. Lower orders. Yeah. yeah. Gravitate. So that's what got me thinking about it. I was like, it just... Yeah shows that there's certain symbols people think they need to tick so they can show off and be like, oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. Well, I mean, you're into, you could probably do a dozen podcasts. You're, you're into, I mean, the concept of a status symbol goes way back. I mean, the first dictionary use of would I think would go back to maybe the 1930s. That status symbol thing, how certain objects signify mm. they're called signifiers aren't they yeah certain certain things signify your status you you've made it um, yeah there's a wonderful book up there it's actually called status anxiety which is a wonderful yeah. a wonderful read because what what happens is ironically it's almost like a revenge actually the higher up you go in terms of owning stuff and having stuff you, you, with a lot of individuals and, and groups your anxiety actually rises with the acquisition you're with me mm, yeah. you, you just want more and more and more and you get into a cycle that really screws you up well everyone we're going to leave it there for now we're just trying to work out the modern class system i wouldn't be surprised if with this episode we didn't ruffle a few feathers but you know this is one reason why we set up this podcast so we could discuss topics with my dad that really engaged with people and we would build up an audience that wasn't afraid to voice their opinion to us you know if you want to throw in your two cents with what we discussed on this episode then why not send us an email by using a pint with peter at gmail.com or if you want to use twitter to voice it use the handle at a pint with peter and we're even discussing with each other about getting people on the podcast to help us join in with the discussion but for now i guess it's on to the next one